we actually have a really simple truth today that I think is communicated to us in our Nehemiah passage. That's where I'm going to focus today. So this week I listened to this podcast with a neurotheologian. Now, lest you think I'm, I'm already getting like way, you know, um, above your, your capacities here. A neurotheologian just means somebody that is a, a scientist and a theologian that thinks about how the brain interacts with our spirituality, okay? So basically, this guy is a behavioral therapist with some uh, training in neurology. And this is what he said. He said that uh, in his research, he found that beliefs that we hold in the brain don't have as much impact on what we do, our behavior, as we would like to think. So he says, you can have perfect orthodoxy, which is a word that means believing all the right things. It means believing rightly. That's what orthodoxy means. Um, so you can believe all the right things about how to be saved, about who Jesus is, about the Trinity, all that stuff, about the resurrection of Christ, and yet not experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So you can have all that knowledge in your head and not have anything change in your heart and then in your actions. I think our passage in Nehemiah has something to say about this. Because think about it. So what Nehemiah is doing is, is he's leading his people in a prayer of repentance. And what he's done is Nehemiah has led a wave of people from exile in Babylon back to Israel. And as part of that, he's reminding them of the story of the deliverance of the Israelite people from slavery from Egypt. And so he's, he's recounting this story in this prayer. And something you'll notice as he's sharing this story with his people, it's kind of a word of warning. He's reminding them that they did not go to idolatry. That's worshiping things that aren't God, worshiping the wrong things. They did not start worshiping idols out of ignorance, right? They had the Ten Commandments at that point. They'd already given the law. They'd already seen all these amazing miracles. So they knew God was real. They knew God existed. They knew God was on their side. They've been delivered from hundreds of years of slavery, miraculously. They've been given the, the word of God, and yet, and yet that wasn't enough. And this is why. Listen carefully. He says that they were presumptuous and stiffened their necks. Now, that might seem like a, a weird expression to us today, but it means that they were proud, and it means that they were stubborn, right? They were thinking highly of themselves, and they weren't willing to change anything about their thought process, anything about their behavior, based on what they had now known and experienced of God. So in a word, they were selfish, which is the opposite of love. And that's what led to disobedience, is that selfishness. That's why they eventually fell back into a familiar pattern of idolatry. Think about this. To worship and give glory to something you've made. In this case, they made these, these golden calves. And they said, hey, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. It was something that they made. Um, if you're worshiping something that you made, isn't that just another way of worshiping yourself? Isn't that just another way of saying, I mean, we probably did this <laughs> on some level. This is the inevitable end to refuse to love God and love others. You're just going to turn inward on yourself. You're just going to start worshiping yourself. So something has to be added to our knowledge for a lasting change in behavior. Um, 
And it has to do with worship. It has to do with worship. There's this beautiful line in the old Book of Common Prayer um, that gives us a clue of, of what worship, a really deep meaning of worship is. And, and it's when uh, the, the, the spouses are making vows to each other and one of the vows is, with my body, I thee worship. Now, they don't mean worship, you know, like the, the ultimate honor that we give to God alone. But they mean, with my body, I love you with my whole self. So at the deepest level, the highest form of worship of God is loving him with our whole self. We say it every Sunday, don't we? Like, what's the greatest commandment? <laughs> to love God. So something has to be added to our knowledge and, it, and, it's, and it's love. Don't get me wrong, right belief is important. Absolutely, but, but knowing the right stuff isn't enough to direct our hearts to God in love in order to receive it. So here's another thing I want you to notice today, that in order to receive the love of God, we have to love him. We, we have to love him in order to receive it. Okay, so, so track with me here. Um, in any relationship that you have, love is always want to get the fullest benefit of that. It's not that there's nothing that you're going to receive. Like if I, if I love uh, my wife, Amber, um, like she's going to get some benefit from that no matter what. But if she does not return that love in some way, then she is not going to experience the fullness of that relationship. All the life-giving power of that relationship, it's not going to be available to her. So, that, so in order to have the, the fullness of, of a loving relationship, it has to be mutual. Okay, that's just how love works. <laughs> so to receive the greatest joys of knowing God then, not just in our head, in our heart, including the transformation of our lives, we have to be willing to love him. And this is a choice that we can make. Sometimes we think love is just this, this feeling that we have, but it's also a choice that we can make to come to him in humility, right? Not the presumptuous sins of the Israelites, coming to him with a willingness to be changed, so not stiffening our necks, a willingness to, to, to change as a result of that. Um, and that is what, is what results in transformation and that keeps us from that cycle of death. And so the amazing thing is that in spite of our human tendency to twist love back on ourselves in idolatry, which is always at the expense of others, um, God's love is always directed outward. See, his never twists back in. It's always directed outward. And it's always, get this, at his own expense. Okay, uh, in his prayer, Nehemiah says, you are God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake your people even when they had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. Did you catch that in the Psalm? Like, hey, you guys were a bunch of jerks. So I opened up the heavens and gave you lots of food. I still provided for you. My love is always there. God's love is always constant. See, God's love is such that he just keeps reaching out to us. He keeps inviting us out of ourselves and into a relationship with him. And without him, and here's the truth, and I'm just pulling punches here. Without God, we can't even respond to him. We can't even respond to that. But that's why he did for us what he did on the cross in his son, Jesus Christ. See, when, when we were in our, kind of our own idolatry, we killed God in human flesh. Um, his love for me and for you and for all those doing that in that moment overwhelmed even that action. 
even that ultimate rebellion, even death itself, to the extent that he was raised from the dead. And when he comes back to life, he is fully alive in the, in the greatest possible way that a human being could be fully alive, which means he's in perfect uh, loving relationship with the rest of the Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's in perfect love there, and he is still ready to pour out love on you and me when he comes back from the dead. How awesome is that? That is the kind of steadfast, never-ending love that breaks through even death, breaks through and, and is able to pull you and me uh, to life. It's a kind of love that, that actually will even banish death, ultimately, will banish death to death forever. So we get to this beautiful passage in Romans 8 today. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have this invitation to know and receive the love that God has always had for you in Christ. But in order to, to really to experience it in all of its fullness, we have to come with humility, a willingness to be changed. In other words, we just have to direct our hearts back to God and love to you. Right? Um, This invitation is called the gospel, okay? The, the gospel message itself is what prompts us and helps us respond to God. That, that's what does it. So with God's help, with the help of the gospel message that comes to us, hopefully not just one time, but over and over and over and over, as we return to his word, as we return to fellowship with one another, as, as, as we go to him in prayer, we're constantly hearing this gospel message. With that help, we can open our hearts to God and love and we can step into eternal life. And when I, when I say eternal life, hear what I'm saying. I'm not just saying life that lasts forever. It is that. It is that. But it's also life that has the character of eternity right here, right now. We can step into that. We can experience real transformation, not just by knowing the right things, but by loving the right person. When we believe that good news and then we take that next step to receive it with humility, with gratitude, a willingness to be changed, we are going to find ourselves loving God and then we're transformed by the grace of God to, to be and act more like him. So we start loving each other. <laughs> it gets worked out into our community. We start loving each other. We start loving our neighborhood, right? We start loving all those people that, you know, we thought were unlovable. Man, that is good news, brothers and sisters. And, and I want you to know that that kind of transformation by the grace of God is available for you now. And it's going to change you. If you receive it, it's going to change you forever. Amen.